So you may be wondering, what is this podcast I'm listening to? Wasn't this just international first news? Yes, it is. Uh, But now we've been revamped. This is now The Global Good Fight. It'll be the same stories focusing on countries outside the West, but we at The Global Good Fight want to extend that to beyond the headlines to an international analysis to help us digest the news. I'm Tim, your host. You may also be wondering where I've been. Well, it was Spring Festival here in China, so I have been taking a short break from the pod to redesign it. In that time, there has been a coup in Myanmar, and Donald Trump has been acquitted for a second time. The world appears in a state of constant flux of entropy that appears stable to us. A global pandemic is still consuming much of our lives, and precarity looms over much of the world. And that's as power becomes more centralized and the wealthier becomes wealthier. I thought I'd use this first episode to break down some of the guiding philosophies behind this podcast. It helps to know I'm a journalist with over four years of experience in broadcast and print. This has helped inform how we here at Global Good Fight decode the news to find the most important stories of the week. I also approach the news from a more academic theoretical framework. Context and an understanding of motivations, intentions, and systems is what drives me to read the news on a deeper level. The father of journalist Walter Lippmann has been a strong influence of mine. He's a controversial figure, but the way he established the profession of journalism is the biggest takeaway from his work. Ideas like the stereotype and the early understanding of the gatekeeper have had profound effects on journalism even to this day. If that goes way over your head, that's fine too. One of the biggest ways he's helped shape me as a thinker is his desire to have his work understandable to a wide audience. But that does not mean we won't get into sticky territory on theory. I, like many of you listeners, may be new to some of the theory we dive into. As a result, we want to keep it simple to help break it down in a way using international news to ground ourselves in a more concrete understanding. Following this episode, we'll get back to the format we've had on previous episodes with headlines, fast five, and larger analysis. But for this episode, since we're introducing the new aim of this podcast, I thought I'd like to start with an example that's been making headlines around the world, Myanmar. Just some background to catch us up to speed. February 1st, the country's military, led by General Min Aung Hlaing, detained democratically elected leaders, including Myanmar leader Aung San Suu Kyi, and 400 parliament members. By the next day, state media announced Min Aung Hlaing established the State Administration Council. Eleven members were put in charge as the country's executive governing body. And on the 3rd, Myanmar police filed criminal charges against Suu Kyi, accusing her of importing six walkie-talkies illegally. During this time, the country erupted into protests, with the largest number of demonstrators taking to the streets in almost a decade. A curfew was put in place on February 11th in the country's largest city, Yangon, and several other major cities, citing coronavirus concerns. Aung San Suu Kyi was expected to be remanded until February 16th. Reuters is reporting Suchi's lawyer says that won't be happening until February 17th, meaning her trial could begin as soon as Wednesday. Over the weekend, multiple outlets reported the military was firing live rounds on reporters and armored personnel carriers were deployed to major cities. CNBC reports this would be the first time this kind of military vehicle was deployed since the beginning of the coup. 
The politics outside of Myanmar became a focus of this event, with commentators pointing toward the tension between China and the U.S. as a flashpoint that could further deteriorate the situation. Marxist economist Richard Wolff sees the struggle between Beijing and Washington as a clash between a descending power, the U.S., and an ascending power, China. Some of the framing that's emerged from this includes that this coup will benefit China, citing the ties between Beijing and Myanmar's military. And there have been some ways China is attempting to build ties with Myanmar. Here's an excerpt from a Time Magazine article titled, Why China Stands to Gain from Coup in Myanmar. The two countries have already signed deals for construction of a China-Myanmar economic corridor, a project that will boost commerce for Myanmar while giving China land access via highway and rail to a strategically valuable deep water Indian port on Myanmar's west coast. This article points to a deal signed between China and Myanmar to enhance trade and to build a railway to an Indian Ocean port. This would give a major boost to both countries economically, but would also allow China a speedy way to get to the Indian Ocean through the southwestern province of Yunnan. This is similar to a project the UK set to carry out in the 1930s. Construction was soon halted due to many factors, including the conflict between China and Japan during World War II. The Time article also points out that sanctions from the US announced last week by the Biden administration could further push the Myanmar military into seeking investments from China. At this point, I'd like to bring up something Evan Feigenbaum discusses. Evan is the Vice President for Studies at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. He brought up this point in the context of the signing of the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, or RCEP, the world's largest trading bloc, which was agreed to in November last year. What he said was the U.S. failed to have a policy in Asia that considers more than just competition or rivalry with China, that there is more than meets the eye when it comes to economic ties, particularly in Southeast Asia. As reported in the Japan Times, U.S. sanctions put pressure on the Japanese government. The Asian Nikkei calls Myanmar's Japan's final frontier in Asia. U.S. economic pressure means projects Japan has been carrying out, including investment in its own rail line in Myanmar, could be brought to a halt. Then there are other factors, including the Association of Southeastern Asian Nations, of which Myanmar is a member of. This is an organization that wants to boost ties between members in other blocs, rather than influence member states. This could explain why ASEAN has been so soft on Myanmar's coup. All of this points to a much larger ordeal than just a black and white China versus US type of situation, as we may be so inclined to believe. And that doesn't cover the internal politics of Myanmar. The paradigm of outside forces like China versus the US leaves us to believe Myanmar is just a country at the whim of outside forces, a colony yet to be colonized. This gets us to one of the core principles of this show, that there's no good or bad. More often than not, this decision is made for viewers and is inherent in the coverage of news events. We get stories framed in a way that does not allow for wiggle room or discussion of nuance. So that should do it for this episode. I hope to bring you globalists a much wider perspective of the news from around the world with this kind of analysis. I would also like to build the community of globalists, so please tell your friends and family about this radical news podcast so we can continue to reach a wider audience. Until next time, always remember to stay global. global. global.